0: Welcome back to the long-dormant betters verdict. We're really excited today to have Professor Mark Conrad back on the pod. He is a business and law professor at the Gabelli School of Business at Fordham University. Professor Conrad, welcome back.
1: Thank you so much. Glad to be back.
0: So today we have a really exciting topic. I've been looking forward to it. Last week, some news broke that A wide receiver for the Atlanta Falcons, Calvin Ridley, had been betting on, had been making some wagers on these newly legal uh, mobile apps that are sort of sweeping the nation, becoming legalized state by state. Mark, can you just talk a little bit about what's happening currently with uh, the legality of online sports betting?
1: Well, about 30 states have legalized a form of sports betting of various degrees, and a number of those states have legalized what's called mobile sports betting, which means through an app you can bet on your mobile – through your mobile device, and it certainly makes it very, very easy to bet, and Mr. Ridley apparently was caught betting a sum of money On games involving his team the Falcons uh, and there was a very easy way to catch it I think this is something that um, many didn't realize that he did it under his own name he didn't do it under a shadow he didn't do it through a friend or a relative he simply did it so he certainly was at risk in simply doing it and uh, it was flagged by one of the uh, companies that investigate or trend bets And it was reported and ultimately uh, it was determined that indeed it was uh, the player who uh, bet and the NFL uh, exacted a pretty strong penalty, basically suspending him for about a season. So uh, this is really the cardinal sin uh, of sports uh, violations is betting. In your sport, um, and betting for or against your team, and he was betting for his team apparently uh, in uh, several bets uh, that were made in Florida uh, while he was away from his team on a leave. So
0: yeah, so we'll, we'll get more into the specifics of his betting a little later. I think you said the the NFL exacted swift punishment. They suspended him for a full season, which has cost him over ten million dollars, I believe.
1: Yes, that's correct.
0: Um, but I want to go back to get to give everybody some background on sort of betting in sports and and what's happened historically. So this is this is a long tenured problem in professional sports. Um, we can go back over a hundred years to what's called the Black Sox scandal. Which I'm sure many people will know about, but can you remind us about what happened with the Black Sox?
1: Well, during the uh, 1918 World Series, it was determined that a number of players uh, for the Chicago White Sox bet uh, on the series through um, what we now would call organized crime, or at least it was alleged that. Uh, they, I, I don't believe that they were ultimate convictions in a criminal sense, but but alt, but basically under baseball's rules that were reconstituted after that scandal, uh, a commissioner was appointed and the commissioner was given considerable power uh, to deal with transgressions not in the best interest of the sport and given almost absolute authority to punish. And gambling was certainly one of the worst, as I said, and ultimately they had lifetime bans from the sport. You know, note this is not the same as a criminal prosecution. This is an internal power that commissioners have had and kept even in the union era. But the Black Sox scandal reverberated greatly because uh, for the public, it tarnished the reputation of the sport. And the sport really wanted to take action so it does not happen in the future. Uh, And and indeed, that's what Kennesaw Mountain Land, the first baseball commissioner, did in um, banning these players uh, for the rest of their lives uh, from the
0: sport. So what what they did was sort of the emblematic um, scary thing, thing that the sports are scared of. Not only did they bet on their own team, it was against their own team and it was in a world series. And then they played like fools and indeed lost the world series.
1: And an interesting reason for that was they hated the owner because they felt underpaid and felt (laughs) that was one way to get back at the owner, uh, to do that because at that time players certainly didn't have the kind of power and rights that they have now. So it really was in a sense, a kind of weird form of job action, uh, given a hundred years ago, albeit not a very wise one. And it, um, it it ruined their careers and hurt the reputation of the sport.
0: And, and many of the players, including the, maybe the most famous one, Shoeless Joe Jackson, at least from what I'm reading, only received $5,000, which is the equivalent of about $75,000 today. Um, not a very wise career move, I would think.
1: Well, you know, it was some uh, money at the time, and again the question is what one thinks was a lot or not a lot. But the same punishment could have happened if he got twenty dollars or fifty dollars or a hundred dollars. Uh it still would have been the commissioner's purview uh to suspend for a very long time.
0: Yeah, that's that's a good point. It's not about the amount, although it, that does make this all these things sort of befuddling of what the players are thinking. Um of course Well, we're going to get more into the present era, but I think it's safe to say that the players are frequently reminded of their duties not to bet on games.
1: And it's often in their players' contract or in the union collective bargaining agreement that they cannot do that and are subject to severe sanction if they do.
0: Yeah, I mean, that which which makes sense for all the reasons we've discussed. Now, well... We're going to get to instances of betting on your own team as opposed to against your own team. I mean, as I said, the Black Sox bet against their team, so that's sort of the the the, the biggest cardinal sin. Let's move on um, about 60, 70 years in time to Pete Rose will stay in baseball. Um, tell us about Pete Rose.
1: Well, Pete Rose was an All-Star player uh, for the Cincinnati Reds, mainly in his career. And he was a very enthusiastic player, and it was determined uh, through an investigation that he was betting on his own team uh, as player – and I think he was player manager for a while as well or a manager – to win. I mean this is – he was betting um, for victories, not for losses, but nevertheless, he also got a ban – Uh, from the commissioner's office, which is still in effect today and never been reinstated. And some have felt that maybe this is indeed too long, you know, given all that's happened regarding the attitude of gambling and sports in the last, say, five, six years. But inevitably, he did, you know, bet um, for his team to win, you know, violated the rules, acted arguably uh, not in the best interest of the sport and was severely sanctioned for that.
0: So he he was, well, there's some debate, I think, still over exactly what his bets were and when he was betting. I think he claimed for many years that he only bet on his team as a manager versus as a player. Does that distinction even matter? Well it wouldn't matter according
1: to the rules in baseball. and it could indeed affect the strategies he'd use as a manager uh, if indeed it was even if he was a manager. Uh, I think just a perception uh, of betting involving your sport was something considered anathema to most pro- to all professional sports and college sports as well. So it it almost didn't matter, although one would argue that, could the he manage with in ma, that in mind to say, look, I want to win even a lowly game and put players on that maybe are my best players but hurt uh, and maybe not use um, the same strategies had he not bet? You know, that's a hypothetical argument, but an argument
0: that could be made. Right. And as you said, it's not super compelling because it still impacts the integrity of the game either way. Um, it's something that leagues are probably rightly scared of, but he did receive, just like the Black Sox, a really significant penalty. Yes,
1: indeed, and uh, penalty penalty that is still valid to the present day.
0: And yeah, and he's and he's fought it, I think, at various times. Um, in 2015, I believe some of his some of the documents were unsealed from 26 years ago from the investigation. So I've seen some handwritten bet slips that show, sort of, his extreme betting activity. Which, you know, the, the, this sort of is, this is something we'll get to a little more with Calvin Ridley. But Pete Rose had to jump through an inordinate number of hoops to make all of this huge quantity of bets that he was making. He had to have a runner that would run to the bookies and put down the bets and keep track of the money and the cash and all these things. That's all been obliterated with modern technology, right? And with legalized
1: sports betting. Too, right. you know that was all illegal at the time. Uh, it was banned under federal law, uh, with the exception of Nevada. So on top of it, he was engaging in something illegal. Now, uh, betting is legal in the majority of states in one form or another.
0: And we'll talk a little later about um, you know what we think about sort of that wide legalization. But it is it, it's an interesting point that yeah, this was illegal and took so much work and it still happened and so maybe we're going to be seeing more and more of these sort of the calvin ridley situations happening now moving to to college sports um i think on one of our previous episodes that we did you gave a brief explanation on what point shaving is can you remind people what what it means to point shave in basketball
1: well point shaving was a technique If you bet on the stronger team, the stronger team has to win by so much. Not just win, but win by an amount above what's called the point spread. And these point spreads started to appear in newspapers all over the country. You know, it was not illegal to publish point spreads. It may have been illegal to bet. And there was a lot of betting going on uh, in major college sports. So ultimately, one way to quote guarantee a win is to go to the favored team if you are a good you know organized crime person and say look we'll pay you not to win by so much we're not telling you to lose but not win by too much so if indeed we bet on the weaker team we win the bet but you still win the game and that was happening probably more times than we would count and a number of players were caught in some celebrated scandals, which had a great effect on their schools and on uh, the the scenario of college basketball uh, throughout the history of um, organized, competitive college basketball.
0: And you could imagine how that would be really tempting, that situation to a college player for multiple reasons. One, they're not being told they have to lose. They say, you can win, just don't win by more than six, let's say. And number two, they, unlike pro athletes, don't get any money. Still, even I think we spoke about a Supreme Court decision that said they can get um, some rights, but they don't get paid. So someone offering ten or $20,000 a game, like we've seen for some of these scandals, might be more appealing to college players. Absolutely, and
1: today I don't think in the pros you're going to see this situation because the average NBA player is making millions of dollars a year. Why would that player take money to shave points? It would make absolutely no sense. But on the college level, players are not paid for playing college basketball. They could be compensated for other matters today, but as of now, they're not. So it still could be tempting. And that's why the NCAA was among the most uh, vociferous in opposition for legalized sports betting because they thought this could happen more as more people would be interested, and there would be more what we call integrity issues. You know, the modern term for all this is integrity, and uh, certainly. In that era, by the way, of legalized betting in the U.S. and abroad, we are seeing a fair amount of suspicious activity in certain sports, um, not just college basketball, and maybe not, uh, maybe not more college basketball, but internationally, we are also seeing it, particularly in the sport of tennis, which, in some ways, could be fraught with this risk. So. It's there. Whether it's legalized or not, the problem could still remain. I just think on the professional sports level in the United States, you're not just going to see that because the money uh, is not there
0: uh, to bribe, basically bribe these athletes. But there's one other previous scandal I want to go through with you, and this is maybe the granddaddy of all of them, the the Tim Donahue scandal from uh, the early aughts, I guess, 2003, 2002 through 2006, something like that. Tell us what happened with Tim Donaghy.
1: Well, Donaghy was a referee in the NBA and apparently was um, found to have been involved with maybe some organized crime figures uh, and may have taken, you know, some or did take some monies and it may have affected his refereeing in certain games. And this was an angle that we've not seen much before. But refereeing is really important, especially in sports where there's a lot of subjectivity. So this was a huge embarrassment to the NBA. And I remember David Stern's press conference, the commissioner at the time, you know, of just venting anger uh, over this because, again, you know, we're talking about supposedly somebody who's a neutral official very much corrupted by this kind of action. And the effect, you know, was clearly could have been Uh, catastrophic for the sport. If actually more referees did this, we don't know. And uh, from what I've read, it was not reported that anybody else was involved. But that was a somewhat different issue because it involved officiating rather than the players.
0: There's been some interesting sort of chicanery from both the NBA and from Donahue in terms of what actually happened here. For a long time, Donahue said, I am bet on games that I officiated. I just knew other referees' tendencies really well. So I gave betting tips for those games. Ultimately, it did come out that he did bet on, or he did give tips to, for people to bet on the games he officiated. And the, it's interesting the way this got caught and also the way that it got huge was he wasn't making that much money from it. Um, in fact, I think I read he did it for a befuddlingly small amount, something like he would get $2,000 a game if his pick won or he'd get nothing if his pick lost. So he's $2,000 a game. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, the organized crime figures behind it were betting hundreds of thousands of dollars. And the question was, did it also affect his refereeing? That is another very good question. The NBA said it did not. Is that credible?
1: Uh, It's hard to say. It's very, very hard to say. You know, was it blatant? Uh, I don't think it would be absolutely blatant just because people would wonder, but could it be subtle? Uh, it's very possible. You know, it just is something in your psychology or psyche that in a close call, you may go one way or the other. It is very hard to prove, uh, and a lot was not proven in this case, but uh, it is theoretically possible. But it, at least whether it happened or not, it was that veneer of corruption that the sports leagues uh, and their commissioners you know, lose sleep over. And that's what happened, especially supposedly a neutral official getting involved in advice and particularly making and possibly making calls uh, would indeed uh, have a detrimental effect on the reputation of the sport.
0: Yeah, that's I mean, that's a disaster because then casual onlookers, sports fans and and really hardcore fans, they can all say, you know what? I was watching the NBA in the early aughts. I watched games that Donahue refed. And it was actually rigged. You know, I, th- I always thought it was rigged against my team. Well, it actually was. <laughs> um, which is, is is a huge disaster for the league, as you said. But he was also punished very severely. He spent something like, or he got sentenced to 15 months in prison. Um, lifetime ban, of course. Mm-hmm. So well, actually, you
1: know, there were these students from Boston College that got implicated <laughs> in the 70s, and they were actually um, in charged, in, I think, with racketeering violations uh, with the government and, you know, by the feds, and were prosecuted down in Brooklyn. And the lead uh, got three years, I think, uh, in jail, uh, lead player. So, you know, the government tends to judge these things pretty harshly as well uh, so it's not just the leagues uh, per se it could be various prosecutors who've been looking into you know at least with the greater criminal law statutes that are in effect today involving racketeering wire fraud uh, statutes which are pretty broad bases for prosecution
0: right pretty much if you send if you send bank wires or bank transfers and there's anything sort of illegal or corrupt about them, it could fall within the sort of wire fraud, bank fraud. And
1: internationally, too. I mean, the mistake that some of the soccer officials in Latin America did, you know, if they were sending um, allegedly sending bribes, but some were, you know, were getting broadcast interest, as long as they went to U.S. accounts, there was jurisdiction to prosecute, even though the activities happened abroad. That—that so That's the scope of U.S. criminal law. And prosecutors have really been emboldened in recent years in going after this kind of activity
0: of course now there's another focus of this podcast that is relevant here these days which is cryptocurrency so maybe there's a another way for would-be uh betters to or illegal betters to get around uh, and, that and that about.
1: would be the subject of another podcast, but I think that's what prompted uh, the administration to – the presentation of an executive order uh, trying to put some regulation into the um, sale and uh, cashing in of crypto. But I think we're going to have to see what's going to happen, and I suspect there are experts out there that know a lot more than I do on this matter, and I would leave it to them to uh, make uh, their opinions and determinations on this issue.
0: So stay tuned to the betters verdict for an upcoming episode about that. Mm-hmm. Um, let's move on to Calvin Ridley. So as you sort of set the table earlier, he bet $3,900 across six separate bets. These were all, uh, or well, five of the bets were parlays in which he included his team. And one of them was a wager on the total of his g- team's game. Uh, he didn't play in any of these games. He was out injured. Now, whether he had discussions with teammates about it it seems kind of unlikely to me, but that was the full scope of his betting that an investigation has revealed. One of these bets, just to give an example, was a $300 11-leg parlay bet. Um, What that means is he would have to win all 11 of the picks, and if so, you win an outsized payout, like $144,000 in this case. So these are sort of like fun jokes of bets not really trying to make money right well
1: right it was more like play money play bets etc but uh, i think uh you know we can be um, in agreement that the nfl uh, nfl really wanted to make this a test case set an example here because you may w- wonder why A one year suspension. That's $11 million off his uh, income uh, for suspension. And, well, one, you know, the legal grounds for challenging it would be very, very difficult because the player's contract specifically gives the commissioner the right and the authority to suspend in whatever amount of time he deems fit a player for betting on games um, at his own team. And two, uh, they just don't want this. To continue they're telling other players don't do this of course the optics are different at a time when the NFL is getting millions in sponsorship deals from gambling companies and it's right. very much part of the business people are wondering like why are you doing this aren't you hypocritical
0: for doing this yeah I mean that's you can't watch a football game without a dozen commercials for ways to bet on the game but then a player does this what seems like a relatively minor thing? Let me ask you sort of a philosophical question that this is what I hear from everyone that wants to discuss this issue. The Black Sox, they bet against their own team. The point shavers, yeah, they could they could still win, but they were betting against themselves so they would, you know, play poorly on purpose. Tim Donahue was a ref. What is the problem? with betting on your own team to win? Especially if you're not playing, but even if you are, because aren't you doing everything you can to win regardless?
1: That's a great question. And it's, I think the it a moral uh, lapse, if you will, an ethical lapse to bet on your own team to win? I don't know. And I think it depends on the context and it depends on how much is being bet. It depends on what kind of uh, information is being utilized, and that's one thing to keep in mind, that if indeed um, the player had information, uh, Ridley had information that others may not have, and others would say, wow, this person's betting as a player, maybe I should bet the same way, could that affect the betting trend, could it affect the betting line? Now, I think it's unlikely in a case like this when we're talking about parlay bets and we're talking about small amounts of money, but the NFL's uh, philosophy, I would think, is nip this in the bud. We just don't want to have this kind of thing continue, and if we leave the door ajar, uh, there could be potentially worse abuses in the future.
0: Yeah, and I will note that um, with Ridley, the one bet on the total, meaning the total number of points scored in the game, seems a bit more problematic to me than betting on his own team, because that's something where it theoretically could uh, mix your incentives in, in a bad way. Although again, he wasn't he wasn't playing, so uh,
1: yeah. I mean, um, he should have been known about it. The other thing is that the contract was clear. You know, he should have been aware of this, and even if it's a minor transgression that may have served as an ultra-punishment or an uber-punishment, you know, he should have been aware of the risks in doing it, and I think that's one of the big questions. Is it entirely fair or ethical? We can debate that, but is it legal? Uh, Well, he couldn't bet. The contract was clear. It was a legal clause in the contract, one. And two, the NFL commissioner was within his rights to issue that suspension. And as of today, I don't believe there's any um, appeal notice that's been given. I mean, I may be wrong, but I haven't read anything. Uh, But I think if an appeal would be filed by the
0: union, it would have very little chance of success. Mm. So... Right, whether whether it's the right thing or not, um, it's certainly legally and contractually the right thing. So how right, do you, how, where do we see this going? Um, as you sort of said at the top, sports betting is getting legalized. I think they did they did a huge amount in handle in New York over the last couple of months since it's been legalized in New York. Also, same in all all of the other states where it's been legalized. Um, how big a problem is this going to be?
1: Well, I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens and see what uh, – where I think there'll be – the potential of issues like this coming up will certainly be likely. We are reading internationally about more suspicious betting patterns in certain sporting events, particularly in what I'd call lower-tier professional tennis, like the top 120 player plays the one top 160 player in a match somewhere. Uh, not one of the biggies and you can see where it's a one-on-one situation where some of the uh, betting could be uh, flagged and the betting companies do have arms that track that, as, or separate companies that do look at um, trends they do look at the metrics and will flag suspicious uh, betting patterns and in this case obviously it worked you know, the company saw it, it worked quickly, and of course, um, Ridley bet in his own name, you know, and that was, it made it easy. But sometimes bets are not made in one's own name, and that could happen too. Okay, I'm a player, I'm not going to bet, but my wife will bet on it, she has a different last name than I do, sort of thing. That is where I think we could see some continuous problems. Uh, And enforcement is going to be really important because of the handles we've been seeing in the United States. And certainly I can tell you as a New Yorker, uh, I was shocked at the amount of handle that New York has had in the first two months of legalized sports betting in this state. I thought New Jersey was high. New York just swamped New Jersey and any other state, meaning there's a lot of activity going on. This is going to stay. I think it's going to produce other problems as well that I don't think have been adequately addressed. But you know, for this podcast, we're just focusing on, on betting by players or league officials, let's say, or referees. But I think there are other issues that will come to the fore, I think, in future years. But the monetization potential is so great for the leagues, for state governments in particular and of course for the betting companies, that this is gonna be mighty attractive uh, in the Californias of the world as well, which have not gotten into it at this point. So it, this is not gonna go away.
0: And when you use the term handle, that, that of course means the total amount that, which as you said, has been really staggering. From an investigatory and enforcement sense, how How on earth do you catch someone who, you know, whose brothers, ex-husbands, you know, in-law places the bet for them with no you know demonstrative connection to the player?
1: Uh, that- I wish I had an easy answer to that question. I think what may have to happen is that the leagues may require the players to say, okay, you can't bet, but also members of, quote, immediate family can't bet and write their names down on a database. But even then, you can get around it. Uh, but I think some expansion may have to come, which deals with privacy matters um, and deals with you know family relations and friendly relations. It could be my best friend. They said, "Hey, man, you know, uh, do me a favor. Hey, Steve, why don't you bet for me you know five thousand dollars on this game? You know I'm playing in the game, and how's anybody going to stop that? And we split the proceeds in some way. I have no idea
0: yeah i'm stumped on that too and you know i came into this episode thinking well a year for what calvin ridley did that's pretty extreme but having gone through each of these scandals and seeing that the punishments are lifetime ban time in prison you know maybe it's not so harsh
1: well but but considering the average uh tenure of a football player is three and a half seasons uh it is certainly a tough punishment you know, it's one thing to suspend me one year from my university and say, "Okay, you're not paid for one year." Well, that's bad. It certainly would be bad. Uh, you know, for me, I don't have those kind of resources. But then, if I know that, okay, I make it through a year, I got another X years to go. Uh, it's not going to be quite the same as somebody who, in that year, could get rusty uh may not have a guaranteed contract i don't know if he does or does not uh the nfl and m- many contracts are not guaranteed and it could be um um career disabling if not career ending so i do think it is harsh but you see the reasons why it may have been enacted uh by the nfl
0: yeah well we'll have to stay tuned as um as you said since more of these scandals are almost certainly around the corner Professor Mark Conrad, where can people reach you?
1: Okay, my email, Conrad at Fordham, C O N R A D at Fordham, E-D-U. And my Twitter handle is at SportsLaw1. That's number one, SportsLaw number one. Uh, And please follow me on Twitter. If you have any questions, you can email me. I'd love to hear from you. And it would be my pleasure. So anything you want uh, within reason, please contact me.
0: Everyone should follow at SportsLaw1 on Twitter. It's a great Twitter feed. I'm Stephen Jacobs. I can be reached at Stephen B Jacobs on Twitter or at Stephen.Jacobs at HSF.com. As always, and maybe this episode more than most, this doesn't constitute legal advice. Uh, we're just talking about uh, what's going on for entertainment purposes only. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and we will be back in a few weeks. Thank you.